Would you remain standing and pray with me, please? Lord God, may I now decrease and Jesus, may you increase. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open them to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. As Ephesians is our summer series uh, through the summer. Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. That's page 977 in the Pew Bible in front of you. While you're turning there, um, while I was in seminary, I remember reading these words from a very well-known book written to the Christian man. I quote, And then, alas, there is the church. Christianity, as it currently exists, has done some terrible things to men. When all is said and done, I think most men in the church believe that God put them here on earth to be a good boy, a nice guy. That's what we hold up as models of Christian maturity, really nice guys. He goes on to say, he says, am I overstating the case? He says, walk into most churches in America, have a look around and ask yourself this question, what is a Christian man? He says, don't listen to what is said, but what you find there. He says, goes on, he says, there's no doubt about it, you'll have to admit a Christian man is bored, is bored, end quote. Now, friends, there's probably some truth in this man's experience of the church. I have no idea how to question that or exactly what his experience or background is. But when I read the word, these words from Ephesians 3, and we'll encourage you to look there, picking up in verse 8 and following, it hardly sounds boring to me. Listen to these words, beginning Ephesians 3, verse 8. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Emphasizing verse 10. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, friends, I don't know about you. And again, I don't know what church that author uh, attended. But I don't think it was the same one that the Apostle Paul was talking about in Ephesians 3, particularly verses 1 to 13, and specifically verse 10. Because I think that any church that, make, or any church that makes known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, listen, that has to be a crazy, fascinating place. I dare one would call it boring. I mean, think about it. The church that makes known the manifold wisdom of God, listen to this, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now listen, though we may not understand what that means at first, it really does sound like to me that God must be really doing something into that church or doing something in that church that Paul's talking about. The manifold wisdom of God being made known to the rulers and authorities. What does that even mean? Well, friends, I want you to hold on to that question in your head for a moment. 
Because, you know, as the past few weeks have gone, I've been recapping a lot of what we've been preaching in Ephesians. And I just want to back up just a little bit to last week. If you were here last week, you'll know that um, we saw in Ephesians 2, 11, 22, this thing called the church kind of shows up. And Paul told us last week that the church is the activity of God in Christ through the Spirit among his people. We learned that what the church does not last week. We learned that it's not about one's social or cultural or corporate or national or political or ethnic identity. Last week we learned what the church is, however, though. It's God's activity in Christ through the Spirit in the life of his people. And that, friends, that Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, all the activity of God reconciles us to God. It brings us peace with God. It brings us near to God. And in a sense, that's the gospel message. And we also learn it because we have peace and reconciliation with God on the horizontal level or the vertical level. We can have peace and reconciliation with one another in our, recon- or in our relationships on the horizontal level. Last week, we also talked about what the church is to both be and also what it is to become. We learned that we are part of the household of God, each and every one of us, just like a brick in a building. We're each individual parts of the household of God. We also learned that we are part of a holy temple, each one of us, set apart for the worship of God. We also saw that each one of us is a dwelling place for God. In other words, the Holy Spirit resides in each and every one of us. But today we're going to look at the reasons for the church's existence from Ephesians 1 to 13, mainly verse 10. So the question comes, why does the church exist? What's its purpose? Well, Ephesians 10 reveals that the church exists, listen, the church exists to make God's multifaceted or manifold, rather, wisdom known. The church exists to make God's multifaceted multifaceted wisdom known, specifically to rulers and authorities. Well, how does God's, or how does God make his multifaceted wisdom known through the church to the rulers and authorities? Well, there are essentially two points this morning. One, the proclamation of the gospel, and two, by confronting rulers and authorities. The proclamation of the gospel and confronting rulers and authorities. See, first, the gospel of Christ being preached, that's what makes God's wisdom known. You say, how so? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul says he did in Ephesians 3, verses 7 to 9. Paul said in verse 7, he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Okay, so what's going on there? Well, let me give you some context here so this makes sense. The Jewish culture, the Jews throughout the Bible, from Genesis on, they were always thought to be the people of God. Unfortunately, the Jewish nation killed Jesus, their Messiah, when he came. Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians, he was a Jew. And on the initial start, he rejected Jesus Christ. Until, and actually, not only did he reject him, he even persecuted Jesus' followers. Until Christ radically converted him one day on the road to Damascus. And once converted... Then Paul went out and began preaching. And Paul spent a lot of time reaching out to the Jewish people who were his people with the gospel of Jesus. 
And as a result, some Jews believed, most Jews didn't. In fact, most of the Bible tells us that most of him beat him. They imprisoned him for it. And wherever Paul went, most of the time, his message caused a riot. And so when Paul went to Ephesus, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jews first. And then to Gentiles, that's who the Ephesians are, in efforts to bring them all into the kingdom of God. Now, beloved, here's the thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a very powerful, or very, excuse me, let me back up. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a very creative power about it. A very creative power. Not creative in the sense like somebody gets creative. It has the creative power to generate things. And so people who come to Christ, the Bible tells us, are what? They're new creations. So there's that creative power. And so as the gospel is being preached through Paul to both Jew and Gentiles alike in Ephesus, they begin to become a new community of new creations. That is the church. So friends, get this picture. You have two groups of people, Jew and Gentile alike. They hate each other. In fact, they refer to each other as dogs, if you go back and read their cultural literature. In a sense, I mean, just to kind of put it where it's at, and I don't mean to be real crass this morning, essentially they refer to each other as being SOBs, okay? These people, listen, are coming together under the gospel of Christ, worshiping the same one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in unison in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles meeting together, listen to me, was completely incomprehensible back in Paul's day. Worshiping together like this was a major, major, huge paradigm shift in the kingdom of God. It's beyond any racial tension or any cultural divide we perhaps know of today. So, beloved, how does God make his multifaceted wisdom known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? How does he do this? He does it through preaching of the gospel. Listen, when the gospel is preached, it forms the church. And the church is formed. And when the church is formed, it's comprised of men and women just like you and I. It's composed of children of every race, of every age, of every color, from every social background, from every cultural background. And listen, they gather together to worship God in true peace, in true unity, and in true harmony. And friends, when that happens, the world takes notice for sure. Because when it does happen in this world, it's a very, very strange and rare thing. And it's something that, listen, we can talk about, you know, we've July 4th weekend, you know, the United States. Yes, absolutely. But only the gospel of Christ can knit people together in this very close communal way. This very thing I'm talking about took place in Charleston just the other week after the tragic murders there, that took place there. Listen to this excerpt from an article in the New York Times this past week. It says the Emmanuel AME Church has survived one antebellum laws barring black worship. It has survived an angry white mob that burned down its original edifice. It has survived the execution of its founder and dozens of others planning a slave revolt. So when a white gunman fatally shot nine of its members, including the head pastor, during a Bible study last week, there was only one way, church leaders said, to respond. 
And that was by pressing forward. And a display of unity, resolve, as well as defiance. Mother Emmanuel, as the people here call the church, opened its doors for regular Sunday worship. Just four days after three men and six women were left in a bloody pile in its basement. The chocolate wooden pews with scarlet cushions were packed there. With whites sitting next to blacks, locals next to visitors. Similar gatherings spanned this country as churchgoers mourned and prayed and honored the lives lost Wednesday evening. They hoped to show that this, they hoped to show that the suspect's reported goal of setting off a race war, get this, had failed miserably. Parishioners gathered at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston for a memorial service for the nine people killed. The Reverend Norval Goff Sr., a presiding elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, said in a rousing sermon there on Sunday morning, I want you to know, because the doors of Mother Emmanuel are open, it sends a message to every demon here on hell and on earth. Later, with his voice roaring, Mr. Goff added, Some wanted to divide the race, black and white and brown, but no weapon formed against the church shall prosper. Another man said to the congregation, Holy city, let us be the example of love that conquers evil. Beloved of God, nothing else but the power of the gospel Nothing else has the power to bring seemingly separated and unconnected people together. Nothing but the gospel can quell that kind of tension and unify people like the gospel of Jesus. The gospel creates the church. The gospel creates the church whereby the church becomes a magnificent theater of God where he displays the many different hues of his wisdom to the universe. And beloved, when he does that, it is so mind-blowing and so staggering that the rulers and authorities in both heaven and earth take notice, just like the New York Times took notice at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. So first, beloved, listen, the proclamation of the gospel and the new community that it forms, i.e. the church, makes known this radical, manifold, mysterious wisdom of God known in this world. But second, God makes his multifaceted wisdom known through the church to the rulers and authorities by confronting them, by confronting them. We got to ask this question. Well, who, you know, and I, I was when I was doing a study in this, you know, who exactly then are the rulers? Who are these rulers and authorities in heavenly places mentioned in verse 10? Well, in a similar place, in Ephesians 6, 12, Paul uses a similar phrase. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Bishop N.T. Wright explains verse 10 well about this. He says, listen, these rulers and authorities that Paul is talking about, both earthly authorities and their shadowly heavenly counterparts always tend to create societies and social structures in their own flat, monochrome, uniform, and one-dimensional image. Worse, they tend to marginalize, oppress, or kill people, or groups who do not fit their narrow band of acceptability. 
The church, however, is to be, by the fact of its very existence, a warning to them that their time is up and an announcement to the world that there is a different way to be human, end quote. Friends, this different way to be human is none other than the new rich life we receive in and through Jesus Christ, who makes it possible to live a new life with hope and joy and peace, both individually and collectively. And friends, learning to be fully human, learning to be fully alive in Christ, and living differently is really what we do each Sunday that we gather here at Christ Church. Going to church today, I'm afraid, though, to many people, seems like an addition, or it's not necessary. Seems like a big waste of time, or like that author I mentioned earlier, it's boring. And going to church at times and doing all the tedious bowing that we do, the talking that we do, the praying, the preaching, and all our failed efforts at trying to be holy sometimes just seem irrelevant, perhaps, to some of us. But beloved, what we do here every Sunday in word and sacrament is training grounds to be more fully human like Bishop Wright was talking about, to be the church and to be more like Jesus. Because see, when we come to church, we explore and experience the riches of the relationship we have with Christ through the scripture readings, through the preaching of God's word and through the hearing of the gospel. When we come to church, we learn who God is how we fit into God's redemptive story that is unfolding on earth. When we gather and come to church, we learn and experience and practice things such as confession of sin, repentance, learn what it means to be forgiven, feel what it feels like to be absolved. When we come to church, we learn what it means to live in genuine peace with people we may like or may not like at times as we pass the peace and genuine love of Christ. Friends, when we come to church on Sunday mornings and come to this table, we catch a glimpse of what the great marriage feast will look like between Christ and his bride, the church, as we all come to this table at communion. Now listen, does that sound boring to you? I mean, you know, I guess we could do some things, you know, to kind of entertain people. I just went to a ball game last night, you know, where you do the clappy thing, you know, when the batter's up. We don't do that. Or we could get the wave. Ty would probably start the wave over here if I had, yep, see. <laughs> Listen, you know, to, to entertain, that's, that's, but that's not what we do. Listen, beloved, what the church is and does by its very nature reflects God. And no matter, listen, in this culture today, and listen, no matter how nice, no matter how open or decent of a person you try to be, and no matter how many points of agreement or common ground we try to find with people at times, what we are and what we do as the church demonstrates to the rulers and authorities of the cosmos that there is a different way of being and living in this world. And friends, they're going to notice it at times. They're going to feel it, and they're going to feel confronted by it. They're going to feel confronted by it just by who we are. But friends, confrontation does not exactly entail a negative thing. How so? This past Wednesday in the Wall Street Journal, a columnist from New York 
He recounted his experience in Charleston during the funerals. He said he was surprised by many things that he saw and experienced. He said he was surprised by the cordial reception of the people. He was surprised by the welcomes and friendly conversations with locals who were living right in the midst of the wake of the tragedy. He said it was different from his home and where he lives of being up north, where he said in his own words, anger often seems to overwhelm everything. As he walked down the street, he was looking about different buildings and he saw a banner just kind of in the middle, just standing out on its own, hanging off the Sustainability Institute, which is an environmental impact awareness group. This is what they had posted on the front of their building. Quote, behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. Psalm 133, 1. He went on to say, many have noted the remarkable spirit of conciliation in Charleston. And he asked this question, where did that come from? He says it didn't come from their religion alone, but the habits of their religion. Beloved, what I think he's saying there, it's their church life. Their habits of their church life. That's the difference. And then he went on to ask even fatherly pointed, where will a predominantly now secularized, secularized society learn virtue? His conclusion, at churches like Emmanuel A.M.E. Beloved, I know nothing about journalist Daniel Henniger who wrote that, but I know this. In the gentle way of Jesus, he was confronted through the church by the manifold wisdom of God in Charleston, South Carolina. Though he may not understand it, he gets it. Friends, I have a question for you this morning. When the secularism that's rampant right now has run its course, where our neighbors, our friends, and our families, or excuse me, when the secularism has finally run its course in this country, where? Where are our neighbors? Where are our friends? And where are our families? And their sexual exhaustion, and their lives shot through with unsolvable problems, and in the consequences of rampant immorality, where are they going to turn to find good news? The gospel. Where are they going to find the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where are they going to find the real love, the real acceptance, the real purpose, the real peace, real virtue, character, and consistency that they seek in all this other stuff that's out there right now? I don't know about you, but I pray that they find it in God's church. I pray that they find it in God's people here in Winston-Salem. I pray that they find it in Christ church. I pray that as a priest that they find it in me. And I pray that they find it in you. Beloved, we cannot stop proclaiming the gospel. <laughs> we cannot stop being who we are, the church, the holy city. For that is how God makes his wisdom known to the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.